think there's any greater thought than that of one day we will actually understand His love for us and the sacrifice that He made for His sheep. Good morning. Um, I bring good tidings from many people, um, specifically in the last 18 hours or so. My, my father said to tell his friends and everyone hello. Uh, my pastor said that, and then I talked to my grandmother, Doris, yesterday, and she said the same thing. So uh, it always brings a smile to my face when I talk to her, and I know just the thought of her would make you guys smile as well. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 88. Psalm 88. This morning I have a very simple message. Very simple. I will have just two particular questions that I hope when this message is over that you will be able to answer them. It would be wonderful if you'd be able to remember the two questions. But I don't have faith in anyone because I even to this day have trouble remembering anything that is preached to me. My wife, just a couple weeks ago, had nursery. She taught Sunday school for the Bible study and had nursery for the service. And when service was over, she said, how was the service? I said, it was wonderful. We had an amazing morning. And she said, what were the messages about? And I had that moment where I was like... "Um," And I had to think really hard to come up with anything for an answer. I said how wonderful it was, and I couldn't even remember. Let's read a couple verses, and I'll tell you my title in those two questions. Psalm 88, look at verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave, or near to the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. That verse 4, it says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. The title of my message this morning is Stuck in a Pit. Stuck in a Pit. And my two questions this morning are How did I get in the pit? And secondly, How do I get out of the pit? How did I get in the pit and how do I get out of the pit? We will spend a few minutes this morning going through a bunch of verses that can help us understand these two questions and hopefully answer them. So first off, what is a pit? In the Scripture, a pit is used as a reference, an illustration, a parable of our situation as sinners. A pit is a deep hole, a bottomless abyss. It is described as a well sometimes, a a thin hole that's just really deep. A place that is almost impossible to get out. It is also translated sometimes as words such as a snare or corruption, destruction. All of them negative and things that cause us a problem. Stuck in a pit. So let's look right at this first question. How did I get in the pit? How did I get in 
to my sin. Where did my sin come from? Well, first I can say that my parents were sinners. My parents' parents were sinners. And you can follow it all the way back to Adam. The Lord created man after His image, and He was perfect in every way. But Adam sinned. I am in this pit because of what my father Adam did. Now, that can be a difficult thing to reconcile. How's it fair? Come on now. I didn't do anything wrong. He did it. How, thousands of years later, how am I the one paying the price for this? Why am I in the pit because of what he did? Well, another reason that I'm in this pit is because I myself am a sinner. I've never had a time in my life that I could genuinely argue that I am not a sinner. Now, I've argued it. I remember plenty of times arguing that I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I'm not that bad, all those types of things. But I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner by, by my father. I'm a sinner by practice. I'm a sinner just because that's who I am. So often people want to argue with that term. But if you've ever sinned, you're a sinner. If we want to go really simple, and if you want to call someone a thief, people would take offense to that. If you walked up to a stranger and I said, you're a thief, they would look at you and be like, whoa, 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 now hold on a second. I was with my children at the grocery store the other day, and we were walking through the parking lot, and one of my children saw a shiny object on the ground. It was a quarter. And they picked it up, and they thought it was their lucky day. Well, I didn't say anything at the time. I understand. I've been there. I would have done the same thing if I had seen it first. But that wasn't their quarter. That was someone else's. They picked it up and put it in their pocket and took it. They're a thief. If someone commits murder, do you think if they do a lot of really good things after that, they can ever say, I'm not a murderer? If we sin once, we're a sinner. And if the Lord shows us who we are, we realize really quickly that's all we are. We're just sinners. That's all we are. Now, let me ask this question. Whose pit is this? Whose sin is this? It's mine. I have no excuse. I don't have I can't blame anybody for it. It's mine. I did it. And when did I fall in this pit? When did I fall into sin? Well, in the beginning, I fell into sin. It's my nature. But a better way to say this is, when am I not falling into my pit? When am I not digging myself a deeper hole? When we think of being in a pit, stuck in a pit that we can't get out of, we often don't think about what we're actually doing is our whole life is we're just digging ourselves deeper in the pit. All our time is just stuck in this pit. Now, it's difficult to reconcile. You know, we don't even realize we're in a pit. And when we're young, we can't even see that there is a pit. And really, if we talk about how Adam fell into sin, this whole world is a pit. You know, just because the walls aren't obvious to us, and just because we can walk where we think we can go, because I'm going to get in a car after this and drive a long way straight away and nothing's blocking me, doesn't mean we're not in a pit. We are trapped by our sin. We are trapped by our nature. 
Have you ever just tried just for a couple moments not to have a bad thought? If I honestly try to not have a bad thought, you know what I do? Man, I have a bad thought. I mean, like the moment I tell myself, don't think about anything bad, don't. Like, I think of either a new bad thought or one I just had again. We can't not do that. It is my sin. It is my pit. Now, how did the pit get there? Turn with me to Psalm 9. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 9. We'll turn quite a few times, and I think most of them will be in the Psalms, just so it's easier for us. But this word pit and the other words that are translated this are all over the Scripture. They're everywhere. Psalm chapter 9, look at verse 15. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. We made our own pit. Look over at Psalm 7 here, back a page. Verse 14. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. That says that we work with iniquity, with sin. We have conceived, we have created mischief, and brought forth falsehood. We lie. Verse 15. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his pate. It says it so simply, He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which we made. We've done it. We created. We got there because we dug the pit ourselves. When we talk about our sin, we have to understand it's our sin. We've done it. And to be honest with you, we're okay in our pit. This world, you know, I'm too often happy with my pit. I'm too often desiring more things of this world. This pit and my sin, I'm just wholeheartedly going after it. I want more. I want more things of this world. The pit is there because of us. Now how about this question? Is the pit dangerous? Is the pit dangerous? Turn to Psalm chapter 69. Is the pit dangerous? Before I read this, there's a chance that someone in here is thinking to themselves... I'm not sure I'm in the same pit you all are in. I'm not quite sure I'm in a pit. I mean, maybe I've got a small hole. You know, maybe it's a little ditch. I can see out the top of it. That's okay, because I spent much of my life trying to trying to explain or try to convince myself that that I'm not in trouble. I'm not in danger. But a pit is a pit. Whether we think we can get out or not. We're stuck in this pit. Our sin is something that we'll get to this next question, how do I get out of the pit? Something that we cannot overcome. In Psalm 69, in verse 15, it says, Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. 
Psalm 89, it says this. Don't turn to it. What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the pit or the grave? Our sin is going to kill us. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's just the truth. It says that throughout the Scriptures. That's why no one who has ever sinned can survive. This flesh must die. This flesh is sin. We must die. And it says here very simply, Who? Who? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? We will die in this pit. This pit will kill us. It says there in verse 15 of Psalm 69, Let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Don't let me be swallowed up by the pit. How did I get into the pit? I have sinned. I have dug my own pit and fallen into my own trap. It is me. I'm the one who's done it. And it's you. I don't need to call you out. Hopefully, you're sitting there thinking, it's me. We are the reason for the pit. We have dug it. We have jumped in it. Now, it says we fell into the pit, but let's be honest here. We jump into it. We, we just dive right into our sin. We are the reason that we are dying in our sin. So let's move past that. Let's get to the second question. We can say all this we want about how do we get in the pit, but what's the important part? How do I get out of the pit? How do I get out of this pit? How do I get out of my sin? How do I find a way for death, for this pit not to swallow me up? I don't want to die in my sin. I don't want that. I don't want my transgressions to be the end of me. Okay, so how do I get out? Can I get myself out? Can I get out of the pit? It's a simple answer. No. Some of us think we're strong and we could somehow flex our way out of the pit. Some of us think we're smart. We can figure a way out of this pit. Some of us think we're tricky and sneaky and we'll find a way that no one has ever found before out of the pit. Some of us think that we're not even in a pit. But let me tell you, you cannot get yourself out of the pit. The Bible is full of people who think they can get themselves out of their sin. We can't. It's all we are is sin. How could I possibly get out of something that that's all I am? If I say that every single thing I do is sin, how can I then do something to get out of sin? Okay, let's, let's make this a little easier. Can someone else help me get out? So I'm, I'm, you know, I can think of a few ways to get out, but I can't really get out on my own. I just need a little help. Well, you know, someone could throw a rope in, but we would just look at the rope and say, I don't want out of my pit. Someone could give us an idea and we would say, no, no, I'm too smart for your idea. I'm going to figure my own way out of the pit. I'll use the illustration of one of my children desperately wants to know how to tie their shoes. And they're too young for it and they don't really have the dexterity to do it and everything. So oftentimes when we're in a hurry, I am like, here, let me tie your shoe for you real quick. And they're like, I want to tie the shoe. Well, they know they can't tie the shoe. So what they resort to is, will you help me tie my shoe? Do you understand how difficult it is to tie a shoe with someone who doesn't know how to tie a shoe? They want to hold one of the laces and me hold the other lace and somehow we're going to figure this out. 
And I'll say, no, 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 lay that one there and I'll put this over top of it. Well, then they try to put theirs over top of mine. I say, okay, then you've done yours, so I'll go around this way. And then they say, no, no, I'll go around this way. And all we end up is we just end up in a knot. And I get frustrated and I'm like, let me just tie your shoe. If we try to do it ourselves, we can't. Someone else trying to help us do it just ties us all in knots. Another sinner helping a sinner not sin is just comical. We cannot save ourselves and someone else can't help us. And false religion has spent so many centuries trying to find a way. Well, actually, I take that back. They can't find a way. And honestly, I think they know they don't have a way to help us save ourselves. But it's still a lot better message for someone who doesn't think they're a sinner to hear that they can get themselves out of their sin. So if I can't save myself, someone can't help me save myself, what about another man saving me? How about that? So I'm a sinner, and if someone tries to help me save myself, I'm going to mess it up. So what if they do it all for me? Well, what man can possibly do it? All men are sinners. If a man is involved, or I'll say if a sinner is involved, we will not be saved from sin. I know that sounds silly, but, but that's like trying to find an anecdote from something that everything has the same poison in it. We can't do it. Turn with me. Well, actually, don't turn with me. Let, me. let me express this. I tell my children all the time, don't use the word hate. We don't need that word. It's too harsh. You, you can say you don't like something or you really don't like something. Just don't use the word hate. But I'm going to use the word hate. I hate it when a sinner tries to tell another sinner that they can save themselves. It just, it angers me so much because the Bible tells us over and over again, the wages of sin is death. And what we're going to get to here in a second tells us we can't save ourselves. Listen to this. And Luke, this is such a great illustration of what false religion tells themselves, but they don't get it. And the Lord spake a parable unto them and said, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both just fall into the ditch, into the pit? That's all we are. It's just the blind leading the blind. If we didn't know any better, I would be in the exact same place spouting something off about how you need to do this or I need to do that. But thankfully, we move on to the next part that says, if I can't save myself, if no man can help me help save me, and if no man can save me, what hope do I have to get out of the pit? Turn to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40. It seems that we are stuck in a pit in this planet, in this earth, in this world. We're stuck in a pit. The pit is of this world. The whole world is the pit. So what hope do I have to get out of the pit? Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. If you realize that you're stuck in a pit 
and you read a verse that says, The Lord brought me up also out of a horrible pit and set me upon a rock and established my goings. If this man wrote this, if a man said, The Lord brought me out of a horrible pit, that gives me hope. If someone can save this man from a pit, they can save me from a pit. In Psalm 103 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And that word is translated the pit. Who redeemeth thy life from the pit, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There is someone who can save you from the pit. There is someone who can save you from your sins. It is this one, this Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. How can He save me from a pit? Isn't He a man written of in the Scripture? Didn't you just say that no man can help me? This Lord, He is the God-man. He did not commit sin. He is perfect. Now what do we do when we realize that we're in a pit and we can't get out? I have imagined this quite a few times in preparing this message. What in the world would I do the moment I realized that I was in a pit and I exhausted all of my options to get out? Because the first thing I would do, let's just say I was in the middle of the woods somewhere and I fell in a deep hole. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is try to get myself out. That's just who I am. I am not going to resort to someone else until I'm convinced I can't get out. Can I climb out? Is there something in here to help me? But the first thing I do once I realize I can't save myself, I realize I'm in a pit and I can't get out, I'm going to cry out. I'm going to yell. And in that moment, that's a different cry than we really almost ever have to express. Lord willing, we won't have to go through that type of earthly trial where we're in a situation of life and death and we're completely dependent upon someone else. But in that circumstance, because the Lord has shown us that we're in a pit, He's shown us our sin, and because He's shown us we can't get ourselves out, He's shown us that no other man, no other earthly thing can get us out. Once He shows us that, and we won't see it otherwise, once He shows us that, He makes us to cry out. He makes us to cry out. Now, if you think to yourself, if I fell in that pit, I'm going to cry out. That's the natural thing to do. It's only natural because He has shown us that we're in the pit. He has made us to understand we can't get out of the pit and that we need Him. He makes us know that. We cry out. Turn with me to Psalm 31. Before I read that, listen to this verse from Psalm 143. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Hear me, Lord, and hear me quickly. Don't make me wonder. Don't make me sit here and cry out over and over again. Hear me, Lord, quickly. Hide not thy face from thee, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. 
So this verse here in Psalm 31, look at verse 16. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. That word grave can be changed to pit. He says, Lord, let me not be ashamed to call out thy name. It's embarrassing that we need to ask the Lord, I'm stuck, I'm in trouble, and you're the only one who can save me. Yet, I'm a little apprehensive, I'm a little ashamed, I'm nervous about calling out your name. There are times in this world where our fear, our shame, overcomes us from proclaiming the truth of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It just does. The fear gets the hold of us, and the things of this world grab us. But it says, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Let me not be ashamed, for I have called upon thee. It says, Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the pit. He's saying here, Let others be silent. Let them be quiet. Let them be ashamed. Lord, don't let me be scared to call upon thee. We have to call upon him. We need him. We're desperate for him. So what about this? If the Lord is able to take us out, if we need Him, we're desperate for Him, how do we know if He will take us out? How do we know that the Lord Jesus Christ will save me? If He makes you to cry out, He has already saved you. By our nature, who we are, I've said it over and over again, I keep repetitively saying this, that we're sinners, we're in this pit, it's our own doing, it's our fault, it's us. The only way we will ever get to the place where we will cry out to Him is because He made us to cry out to Him. And, and I know that, that sounds so simple in a way, yet so it, it's so opaque, it's so difficult to understand. Now hold on a second. Are you telling me that if I do something, He gets the credit for it? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, there are a lot of people who cry out for, to be saved. But there's a difference in someone who's asking the Lord to help them save themselves, asking them so that others hear them say it, and there's a difference in someone who realizes, I am going to die if you don't answer my cry. If you don't save me, I will not be saved. That's the cry that gives the sinner understanding the Lord has given thee faith that He will save thee. So what about if I know that He can save me, and if I cry out that He has or will save me, what about this question? Because if we're crying out, we don't really realize in the moment that He's already saved us. When will He take me out of the pit? When will He save me from my sin? Well, a couple easy answers to that are, one, He saved us before the foundation of the world. He chose a people and saved them before they were ever born. He knew who I was before I was. He chose a people. He saved them. Then we can go to the second part of this is when He became a man and lived perfectly. He had to pay the price for my sin. He had to put away my pit. He was made sin. He, my sin was pressed upon Him and He died for me. 
He died for my sin. He did all those kind of things. In 1 Peter, it says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You weren't redeemed, you weren't saved by anything of your own hands, anything of your own doing, anything of this world. But you were saved with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He did it. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It was predetermined before the world began that He would save His people. Well, then why does it feel like I'm still in this pit? I'm still stuck in this sin? Because the end of verse 20 says, but was manifest in these last times for you. We just didn't know it. We just didn't see it. We can't see it. And this flesh one day will die. It will. This sin is flesh. And everything I'm talking about here, I should have said this at the beginning, but this is all a representation of our spiritual life. This flesh is sin and we will die. This flesh just, it's decaying as we, you just said. It is day by day, moment by moment. It is just fleeting. It is just falling apart. The, the rate at which it falls is different for everyone, but there's an appointed time that all flesh will die. But spiritually speaking, the Lord Jesus Christ will save His children from their sin, from the pit. So, we have one more well, we have a couple more things to finish off. How do I get out of the pit? Will I fall back into the pit? I mean, if someone saves me, if I fell into a pit and someone came, as the Lord does, reached down and grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, yanked me out of that pit and set me on a rock and put me there, do you know what my first earthly thought would be? Where's the pit? I don't want to fall in the pit again. I'm worried about that pit. I was just trapped in that pit. I don't want to be back in that pit. Well, turn with me to Psalm chapter 30. Just across the page, actually. Psalm 30, look at verse 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. It just says here, I will praise thee, Lord, because you lifted me up. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, or the pit. You brought me up from the pit. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Once He brings us out of the pit, the pit is no more. It's not that we, have to, we don't have to worry about falling back into the pit. It's that He paid the price for our sin, and it's no more. Once He gets us out of the pit and sets us on the rock, which He's the rock, once He sets us there, the pit is no more. Our sin is gone. Like if we looked around to try to find it, how, how much would that... How, is there anything better if you fell into a hole in the forest and someone grabbed you out and laid you on the side on the ground right there? How, is there a better feeling than looking around and realizing the pit is gone? Your trouble, the thing that had caused you all those problems, the things that was that it was going to be the end of you. You had no choice. You had no chance to get out of this pit. To realize that not only did someone save you from the pit, but they eliminated the pit. They took care of it. It's no longer there. We don't have to worry about the pit anymore. And finally, who gets the glory for getting us out of the pit? Turn to Psalm chapter 6. 
Psalm chapter 6. Who gets the glory? Verse 1 of Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? The one who does the saving, the one who conquered over the grave, the one who conquered over death, that is the one who gets all the glory. In this illustration I keep using, if I'm in the pit and someone grabs me up and takes me out of the pit, solves the pit, it'll never be a problem for me ever again. That is the person who gets all the glory. They did everything. And despite us trying so hard to get a little glory ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ did it all in salvation. He did it all in paying the debt for our sins. He did everything. Let me read this verse. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. The Lord says, I am the one who conquered death. I am the one who conquered the grave. I am the one who took the power away from sin. I am the one who gets all the glory. Now turn with me to John 4 and we'll close. John chapter 4. The article in the bulletin, there were a couple of them that were appropriate, but the able to keep you from falling. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Unto Him it's able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Now let me just take a couple minutes and read a couple verses from a story that we all know. And I want us to think as we go through this, because I had said this earlier and described it, a pit sometimes is described as a well. And a well was something that was unbelievably valuable. Well, it even is now for some people, but centuries and centuries ago and early in the, the Word, a well was, was life. A well saved people's lives. They had to have water. So read this and let's look at this as a, as a way of this woman and this well. Ver, uh, chapter 4 of John, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It says here, the Lord was wearied with his journey, showing us he is a man. Yet, he stayed there for a specific reason. And in verse 8, it says, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So he was by himself at Jacob's well. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Lord came to the well. 
Now, it specifically says a woman came to draw water. This woman came to Him. Just because we think that we came to Him, He went to her well. He knew where she was going. He was waiting on her. And His disciples went away and He was by Himself. She came to Him and then she realized very quickly, her first thought was, why are you even talking to me? I'm not worthy of you. People like you don't talk to me. She immediately realized the difference in the two. She understood this man is different. Then in verse 10 it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The Lord says to her, You came here to this pit for your life, for your sustenance. This, came to, this woman came to this well because she was thirsty. She needed the water from this well to survive. We think we need the things of this world. We think we need this stuff in order to survive. We constantly go back. You hear that phrase? You go back to the well. We keep going back to the well. That's who we are. We keep going back to our sin. We keep going back to our pit. He says to her, If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water. Verse 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She says, I've been to this pit a lot. She goes, If you don't have a bucket, you can't get anything out of this. What, what water are you talking about? She, reckon, she understands, she recognizes here, that this well that she has been going back to over and over again does not have anything that will keep her alive forever. What this well has for her is something that just prolongs her time. It just keeps her moving forward. But what is this he talks about? Living water? Verse 12, she says to him, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Is this not us? She said to him, You're talking about this living water. Are you saying you're better than the person who dug this pit? What, what, what makes you better than him? He dug this pit for us. He gave us this sin. Our fathers, our forefathers, we have this sin because of him. What, what is this that you talk about? You think you're better than him? How could you be any different than any other man? Jesus answered, verse 13, and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He says to her, if you go back to this well, if you keep dipping your bucket down into this pit, you're going to be dependent on it forever. You're never going to get any sustenance from it. He says, but what I have, what I can give you, instead of this pit here, I will give you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I will give you eternal life. This pit gives you nothing but me. The well I have, I, that's everlasting life. Verse 15, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She said to him, I want that water. This is her crying out to him. She's saying, I want what you have. I don't want this well anymore. I don't want this water I've had my whole life. I want something different, something better. I want what you have. And if we go on down, the Lord asked her questions and 
it became very obvious to her, but it's for our good, that she was a sinner. She was just like us. No matter what it described there, she's a sinner. She's awful. She, she has no right to anything. And he's saying all this so that she can realize and she can say in her own mind, as the Lord teaches us, I don't have any right. I don't have any claim. I don't deserve this everlasting water that you're giving me. I don't have it. Verse 23 says, But the hour cometh, he's saying, And now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. She believes that the Savior has come, but until He shows her in just a second, she doesn't realize it. Look at verse 26. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee... I am the one who has this everlasting water. I am the one. This woman just, she just didn't understand it until he finally told her, I am the one that seeth it. And later on, she went back into town and said, you're not going to believe what I just found. Once the Lord shows us who he is, we'll cry out for him. He shows us what position we're in. How did I get in the pit? I'm in the pit because my father sinned, Adam sinned, and because I sinned. I'm in the pit of sin because it's me. It's my fault. I'm the one who did it. That's the truth. How do I get out of the pit? I must understand that I can't get out of the pit on my own. I can't get out of the pit of anything of this world. I am completely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ to get me out of the pit. My only hope for salvation is that He saves me. On His own, by His will, because of His proclamation and His choice before time ever began, because of His sacrifice, because of His death and His blood, I can be saved. That is my only hope. And He is the one who's going to do the whole work. He is the one who is going to get all the glory. He is the one who is going to eliminate this pit from even existing. He will pay the price for my sins. He gets all the glory. And thankfully, the Lord makes us to cry out, If you... If you even, it comes in your mind, just do it. Just cry out. We must understand that we are completely dependent upon Him. And that's our hope. Our hope is that He makes us to cry to Him. Don't be ashamed of it. Say like the Apostle said, Lord, others may be ashamed, but Lord, don't let me be ashamed to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ is my only hope, my Savior for salvation. All right.